0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tandem Coaching Academy's Keeping Agile Coaching Non-denominational podcast. We are your hosts today, Sherry Silas and I, Alex Kudnov. And today we have more than one guest. Today we have we have Galen and Q, and they are authors, agile coaches slash advisors, whatever that means. And uh, today we are talking about Scrumming at Scale. So Garen, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Okay, so why don't I go first? My name is Geryon. I'm from Berlin, Germany, born and raised. And I, well, as you guys know, I I consider myself to be a reluctant coach of sorts. So um, I'm originally a scrum master and kind of still feel like it even though I do mainly coaching today. Um, And so I'm a scrum trainer under Jeff Sutherland and also a Kanban trainer and i mainly do some training and then agile coaching specifically around scaling
2: scrum
0: thank
2: you okay. um yeah um my name is louis quintel i go by q i'm based in washington dc uh, i used to split my time between the us and europe before covid now it's mostly U.S. and a little bit of europe and uh, I'm an Agile Advisor and Trainer. I'm a Scrum Trainer, Scrum at Scale Trainer under Dr. Jeff Sutherland. And uh, been doing Scrum since about early 2006. That's
0: a lot of Scrumming. I know, I know. <laughs> so, so as I'm thinking about Scrumming, this thing, um, and I don't remember who said that, but it seems like it's all over the pages these days. Uh, If you want to scale, don't, stop before you start scaling. And you guys definitely have some different ideas in mind. So what's scaling for you?
1: I actually wouldn't say so because that's one of the core tenets of Scrum at Scale. Um, Yes, scaling is in fashion, right? And we're experts on it. But even as experts, we still tell you don't scale until the very last moment that you that you can postpone it because the problem is that uh, as soon as you start scaling you tend to invite a lot of problems a lot of complexity into your system and the much better answer if you're already doing scrum is to invest in your teams because um, a lot of teams are really not working um, at their full potential because they're missing a lot of stuff they are not closely adhering to the scrum guide they have a lot of organizational impediments they have a lot of um, relationship problems within the teams. And we think that there's a lot of opportunity for investment, um, let's call it that, into the teams so that they can get really good before you start um, scaling. And the problem is really that it's such a fashion, topic, fashionable topic, right? Everybody wants to scale, it's all the latest buzz. And if you're a coach, you can say, oh, I've been coaching eight teams at the same time, right? When what you should have actually been doing is focusing on one team and making it really good. Yeah.
0: I remember somebody told me with a pride in her voice that she was coaching 36 teams. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, the last moment and uh, what's coming to mind that last responsible moment, what's last responsible moment for scaling I don't know, I don't know if I would call you, I would call
2: that, but um, I made a name of being called in Agile Transformations that went, let's say, bad, right? And all of them, of course, were scaled. I had a client once that trained 20 teams on a certain framework. They never seen Scrum before, and then they didn't know why it went wrong, right? I mean, you send everybody to training, why it's not working, right? So... I I wouldn't say you have to wait until the last possible moment, but you have to wait until you have solid knowledge, understanding, and practice of Scrum. And uh, what happens most of the time is people get to this projects. Oh, we need to convert from the old system to the new system. Oh, great. Let's train everybody to do Scrum. And then uh, since we only have a year to do that, let's get about 50 teams with... uh, you know, 600 people doing this and uh, things go bad. So I, I, think, I, I, I think when on says the, most, the responsible moment is that is when you have maturity in the teams, at least enough maturity to make sure that people are able to practice things in a way that doesn't get amplified all the bad practices. Mm-hmm. And that's not usually what we see.
0: Yes, so, and as a an coach or as a coach or an advisor, how do you go about estimating whether the teams are at a maturity you would like them to be to scale?
1: Yeah, so let me jump on this one. Um, so, and going back to the question before, one thing I would like to add is, um, I think there's also a missed opportunity, right? Because the investment that goes into scaling could have gone into the team And there are a lot of treasures to be found in really investing into the team and not just on a surface level. Okay, let's, let's send the scrum master to a class for two days, but actually really investing into the team because scaling is very expensive. And so how do you know it? Well, it's kind of tricky to say, um, from a business perspective, I would try to look at, um, diminishing returns on investing into the team. So if you're really like, um, taking that business view, um, but from a practical viewpoint, what you should always be doing as a coach is helping the team to self-assess, right? So find a way to um, to work with the team on assessing themselves and helping them to find opportunities for growth, and then try to find a point with them where you uh, mutually agree that um, a lot of improvement in velocity, for example, can't easily be had. And I think that's a good starting point to see, okay, So we are really doing good with this team. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Maybe this is a good point to add another team.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this brings to mind um, different companies I've worked in as an agile coach. And like you said, there's always this big buzz about, we've got to scale, we've got to scale. And what I've often seen is the conditions in the company don't exist to even need to scale. And so I'd like to hear from, from your perspective, what are those conditions that tell a company um, maybe we need to look at how we scale things?
2: Let me, let me jump on that one. Um, like I was telling you guys before I started recording, I work a lot of leadership. And uh, one of the things that I see a lot is leadership doesn't quite understand Scrum but uh, there is a tendency to copycat. And what I mean by copycat is, well, because so-and-so is doing Scrum and it's working so well, let's do it. But they forget that the company itself does not have the knowledge, does not have the understanding, does not have the structure. The whole the the, the whole premise is starting on a very shaky ground because you are copycatting without understanding if a particular thing in this case, Scrum, even works for you. It should. It normally will. But you have to first understand what you're trying to achieve with that. And to compound this, they don't want to start small. They want to start really big, Mm -hmm. which exponentially grows the problem. So I spend a lot of time working with leadership, especially when things went bad, explaining to them how Scrum works and making sure they understand that. So the copycatting stops and they start taking a, a assess the situation, what we did wrong. One of the first things they figured out is we really didn't know what we were doing. And we went to just, oh yeah, it should be very easy. And it isn't because um, I have a client right now that Scrum Master doesn't even exist as, as a job title. And they were having trouble finding a Scrum Masters because people don't see a career path. And that was relatively easy to fix, but they didn't know about that. So I, 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 I think in order to have the conditions there, you have to make sure that the, the leadership, especially senior leadership, understands what the, the, the framework brings to them and what can be achieved with them And not just simply copycatting because you cannot change the organization if people don't understand what it takes to make that change sometimes they even think there's no need for a change right but we all know it's quite the opposite
3: Mm, yeah so q you mentioned the scrum master role and i think garyan you mentioned the scrum guide and that makes me wonder the new changes that have happened in the scrum guide in the last you know, last few months, how does that impact the work you do or, or, you know, what's happening with that?
1: Yeah, so one thing I see, and I think that was the intention behind some of the changes is that, um, well, Jeff Sutherland said it, that um, they are witnessing that a lot of scrum masters aren't really doing their job, they're not really performing the role appropriately. And that's why there was this change from a role to a responsibility. And I think some, some people are misinterpreting it and going too far with it. But I think the general idea behind it was to call out the responsibilities of the Scrum Master more, which isn't to just invite people to meetings and maybe preparing the retro, um, but is actually being a leader, actually removing impediments, actually working on Kaizen, on, on continuous improvement items to make the team Um, become quicker. And I think that's a big issue. And uh, Q and I have been having this discussion for a long time because he is originally a product owner and I'm a scrum master. And he was always saying, oh, those scrum masters, they don't know what they're doing. And I was like, what are you talking about? The problem are always the product owners. They are the ones that don't know their job. But um, I actually had to uh, eat my own words there because um, I have now seen it. And uh, I totally agree now um, because there are scrum masters who don't really know what they should be doing. And in turn, the rest of the organization then says, well, we don't know what our Scrum Masters are doing. It's supposed to be a full-time job. And they just go to their Scrum Master meetings and nothing is happening. And if you look at the velocity of the teams, it's not improving. The conflicts in the teams are still there. Nobody's taking care of that. And so I think the problem of Scrum Masters not filling out their role are a big part behind some of the changes and I do appreciate them I was a little bit reluctant in the beginning because I really like that term of servant leadership Um, it really resonates well with me and now that the focus has been moved to true leader um, I actually saw that resonate with a lot of scrum masters that they actually have a bigger role to play and that they should be a little bit more forceful it's maybe not the right word but maybe step more into that role and um, start to affect more things.
2: I actually, I would add, because we have this conversation all the time, like Ketlin said. I, uh, I think the way we train Scrum Masters is pretty defective, And uh, I'll, I'll explain why. I, I just had a, a new department added to me a couple months ago. And the first thing I asked the Scrum Masters is, do you know what your percentage of process efficiency is? They didn't even know what was asking. Then I ask them, can I see your value stream mapping for development? Blank stare. So I I think we don't train Scrum Masters properly. I think actually a two day class is completely (laughs) inefficient. You know, when I teach Scrum Mastery, the minimum I do is three days. And I have the advantage, I don't do public classes, I do private classes so I can tailor them very well. But I also think that one of the things as Scrum Guide brought up forward this we forgot the, the the leadership I think we we taught too much or oh, servant leadership it's completely hands off I'm just here to serve but uh, the scrum masters forgot that uh, leadership and I think a lot of people confuse leadership with management that's not it leadership is actually having your people's backs is protecting them is making them efficient but I think a lot of Scrum Masters, their, their training is very lacking. They don't understand lean thinking. They don't understand value streaming. They don't understand a lot of things that are core to have process improvement. So I think the Scrum, the Scrum Guide just bringing up this leadership and accountability and all these concepts is actually going to make a favor to sort of wake some people up.
1: Yeah, and I think... The scrum training. It's a starting point, right? I some people see it as an endpoint. Yeah, took a two day class or three day class. And now I'm good to go. And it's, it's actually just the start of your journey. And it is a journey that you have to do, you still have to lift those weights and have to go that way. And so I think some there's sometimes confusion about that.
0: Yeah. So It's clear who of you two is the problem child. It's Geryon, he's a scrum master. (laughs) There's always a problem with scrum master. Let's go on to less problematic side on the product ownership. And we know that it's scrum, well, scrum is built around products, right? People work together in teams to create great and creative products and solve the problems, right? So uh, how does scaling change approach to product development well that's
2: on my ballpark
0: uh i think actually it,
2: i i think scrum is built around product but product ownership it's also not very well understood and uh, uh scaling requires product management which is far more complex and uh encompassing them product ownership. I, I, I think of product ownership are being more tactical and I think of product management are being more strategic. And uh, what I mean by that is if you go to a team product owner in most cases and you ask hey, uh, what marketing collateral is going out, um, um, what are your revenue streams and uh, how do you pretend, how do you intend to monetize this? A lot of them don't get into that, right? because that comes from somebody usually called the business, right? And that's where the product management is happening. And when we scale, I think one of the beauties of Scrum at scale is putting emphasis on this thing that we call the EMS, Executive Meta Scrum, which is a central sort of authority. I hate to use that word that deals with the product management deals with what's the product direction, how we're gonna put this product out of the door and all those things that are strategic. And then that cascades to the product owners, which can them in their teams do the tactical things and make sure that, the, that things are being developed and they need some criteria of acceptance and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think even at single team level, a lot of product owners are not familiar with product management. And how to do that. And uh, I always tell people, uh, I actually use this in the morning. I was having a meeting today. We are concentrating on output. Output means nothing if it doesn't achieve an outcome. And uh, especially when you use Scrum in IT, it's all about output. We have to get this out. We have to get this out. We have to get this out. Well, I have news for you, right? I use PowerPoint a lot. Maybe I use 10% of it. So the other 90% are output and that's waste. It's It's not making my outcome any better. And I think that's one of the problems we see product management, product ownership is they don't emphasize the outcome. I want to have a happy customer. I don't care if I put 20 user stories out or 200. I may put 200 user stories out in production that the users hate. And that's one part that we we seem to forget. We are obsessed with output and we forget the importance of the outcome.
0: So, and I have to recognize that there are definitely different schools of thoughts around product ownership, product management, and you go one way and they say, it's all product owner and product owner is responsible for RI. And you go another way, they say it's product product owner works together with product manager and those are two separate roles, two separate organizations and all that. I think what they all agree on, though, and what you are to bring up is that we as community, we are as a trainer community, we don't provide enough of holistic training, we don't provide enough of holistic roadmap for people to develop in their chosen way, whether it's a scrum master or a product owner. So I know you both are trainers. How are you thinking about people development in a specific kind of roadmap, if you will?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And so when I'm looking at scrum masters or at potential scrum masters, I'm always looking at their leadership potential first because that is the arc that they will follow as they develop. Develop How good can they deal with people? Um, also the serving aspect, right? Are they What kind of leader are they? Um, but that's basically the arc of it. And now we've heard from Q that on the other hand, on the product owner side, the product owner training is also only a starting point. And then it develops into something larger, like a product manager, right? And I think there's a lot of There seems to be a lot of confusion because people think they can work as a product owner for a year and then they are a fully fledged product manager, right? As if they could take over a product at Apple and be successful with it. And I think um, if we construct the roles more as developmental arches in which people can grow over time, I think we're really doing them a service. And so I I can just um, talk for myself. In the beginner um, classes, the scrum master and the product owner, my main focus is on the mindset. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of material. There's so much material, actually, that it's kind of difficult to use all of it to, to get everything across in two days. And so what I'm trying to get them to understand is the mindset. So for the scrum master is, for example, well, how do you lead the team? How do you support them? How do you achieve flow? Why is it important to take care of impediments, right? Because a lot of people don't seem to really understand that in a sense, the obstacle is the way, right? You could say, well, yeah, my job is to increase the velocity, but what does that mean? Cracking the whip? Um, It's actually the obstacle that is the way and that's the impediment. The impediment is not something bad, but it's actually um, the way through which we support our teams and increase velocity and become more productive and become better leaders also.
3: Mm-hmm. so when I hear you talking about that leadership it makes me think of coaching of you know the, the thinking that professional coaching can help people in leadership to take things to the next level and so I think I get how professional coaching can help scrum masters and adult coaches and I'm wondering how this actually might connect into the, the ability to scale what are your thoughts on that
2: I think it's actually more important at scale, right? Because when you're talking scaling, you are talking about coaching an organization and not only individual teams and coaching, actually, it's important to coach teams how to communicate cross team communication is extremely critical, especially when you have a large number of teams, you know, because it, I work with very large organizations, so for us, having a group with 30, 40 teams is very normal, right? And uh, I see people having difficulties communicating between four, five, six teams, let alone when there's 30 in there. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have proper coaching to making people understand that without communication, things will not work doesn't matter how good your scrum master is, how good your product owner is, how good the chief product owner, the chief scrum master, all of this if people have trouble communicating. So it's important to coach leadership about the fundamentals, how the organization should work, but it's also that how the organization should communicate. When we talk about removing impediments, honestly, a lot of the impediments, they could be removed at a lower level much faster if people knew how to communicate. So there's a lot of opportunity for, I always say training works like this. You train people, you mentor them, and then as they mature, you coach them. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind of skip steps or they they go into coaching before the, the team is even able to understand what they're being coached on and things like that. So there's a lot of opportunity for coaching, especially at scale because the complexity increases and therefore there is even more need at scale than it is at team level only.
1: Yeah, and so for me, the thing that I really like about Scrum at Scale, and I actually learned this from Q um, through one of the sessions, coaching sessions, because I um, was a visitor there Uh, at the beginning, and now we're doing them together at least once a month. And so um, what's really interesting about Scrum at Scale to me is that it it seems to really fit well together with professional coaching in the sense that it's not prescriptive at all. It lays out a basic structure, but that structure is very that it can be easily changed and we're not forcing anyone to do anything. So basically how Scrum at Scale looks is we have two cycles, one for the Scrum Master and one for the product owner. And if you look at those, it's basically two circles that overlap in some parts. And on these two circles, there are bubbles which represent different components. And so one of the components on the Scrum Master side could be cross-team coordination. Um, another one could be deployment. And on the product owner side, it could be vision or backlog decomposition. And so you have these different components, um, but we are not telling you how you should do them, right? So is it a good idea to have a vision? Well, probably if you want to have some kind of decentralized command, which you usually want to do in agility because that's where the action is, that's where people have the knowledge, then um, it's probably good to have a vision. But how you arrive at it, we don't really care about that. Is it useful to have cross-team communication if you have cross-functional teams that are not in functional silos anymore? It's probably a pretty good idea, but we don't really tell you or prescribe how you can do that or how you should do that. And so basically what Scrum at Scale is, it's, it's a network of different components that we think you should use, but that you don't have to use. And the way it's constructed is that Um, it's basically like like an API, right? So if we have a component such as the vision, we define the inputs and outputs to that um, component. And as long as you respect those components, uh, those um, definitions, the inputs and outputs, you can do the component however you want to use it. And a side benefit of that is that if you want to work on your vision, for example, um, you still keep the whole system intact, right? It's, uh, you only work on that component, and the rest of the components aren't affected because it's, it's kind of like a network. It's like a, a USB slot. It doesn't really care as long as you respect the requirements of the USB slot. You can add a printer to it. You can add a stereo to it. It's really up to you. And this construction, um, and it took me quite a while, and like I said, Q's input to, to realize it, it's super well suited to professional coaching in my mind, because you don't have to go in there and kind of sell a system, right? It's not, you have to do this and you have to do that. And you either do it or uh, you're doing it wrong. You can actually go in, see where the client is at, meet them where they are and focus on the stuff that they want to work on, right? If they say uh, for us, an issue is cross, um, cross team coordination, which is often the case, you can say, good let's work on that. And then you can maybe upgrade that a little bit and you don't interfere with the rest of the company. And you can, um, that's the funny thing, right? As coaches, we hold the space. And it seems to me like Scrum at Scale is somewhat holding the space because we just have these um, loosely coupled components. And so we can just work on that. And then if the customer determines, well, that that's looking better now, but our deployment is really bad. Let's work on that. And then you can just like, follow along with them and you don't have to force them into kind of a structure that you determine to be right. And so the implementations can look very differently between clients, um, but that's what I really like and where I think it's, it's very compatible to professional coaching and what we hold dear. And I sometimes wonder if, um, if not more people should be made aware of that, because I think it's, it's a very natural approach to professional coaches to scale Scrum.
0: And so um, as you're talking, Garen, I remember what Cherie told me um, several months ago. She's like, love the guy. He keeps coming back to my classes. He keeps take- taking classes. And he keeps telling me, I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> and he keeps coming back. So it sounds like you found the value. You found the application. So how did coaching, professional coaching and skills changed your approach to your practice
1: that's a very interesting question and one i keep asking myself about once a week especially now that i have a new engagement and the funny thing is i would say not very much and everything at the same time so not very much in the sense that do i think i'm a much better agile coach because of the professional coaching i kind of don't because i think. I would have handled a lot of the things the same way. And at the same time, I can't imagine being an agile coach without being a professional coach anymore because I use it all the time. So for example, you do a a one-on-one coaching session and the person starts crying, right? And so what do you do if you're a professional coach and you keep coaching, then that's completely normal to you. But if you're just an agile coach, suddenly you're completely overwhelmed and then you start messing up. You have team dynamics that are off. How do you deal with them? Well, you do a, you do a coaching session with them, right? And so on one hand, maybe I'm, I'm too close to, it to really see it. Maybe if somebody would have looked at me from the outside, they would say, well, Garen, you are completely changed. That's so much as obvious. But I can definitely tell you that I'm using the stuff that I learned from you guys, like almost every day.
0: Just hand them tissues.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: I thought I should just stop them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just tissue, just, just wipe it off. Who, 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 does, who does tears in, in professional coaching? Come on.
3: <laughs> you know, the,
0: the the funny
2: thing is I never had anybody coming crying to me, but they come screaming quite often.
3: Crazy area on scream to cue. Got it. Yeah. So
1: I think we should note that I make people cry in agile transformations. <laughs>
0: So, what, what about you? What, what about professional coaching? And maybe with, uh, with a perspective from the product development.
2: You know, the funny thing is uh, I'm known as a product person, but lately I've actually been doing work more with Scrum Master than anything else. You know, So I, I go both ways and I, I grew up as a developer too. So I can tell you one thing. One of the things that professional coaching taught me, it was really hard. Uh, to learn is to listen. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And uh, we don't do that enough. And uh, if you come from a development background and an engineering background like me, I'm a problem solver. So the moment you're telling me, do I have a problem? The third word out of your mouth, I'm already having the solution kind of brewing in here. And uh, when I took my first coaching class, it was really painful to shut your brain, keep your mouth closed, and bloody listen to people. (laughs) And that made a huge difference. And sometimes I relapse a little bit. I think we all do, you know, because sometimes you are tired or you have some involvement on an issue and et cetera. But I always keep repeating, shut up and listen, shut up and listen, shut up and listen. And uh, I, I know you're laughing, but a lot of people fail miserably on that. And we get into a lot of trouble. So if if I had to re, to choose one thing I learned from professional coaching, that I will never forget, this: listen, 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 and listen before we start doing anything.
0: Yeah, let me play. We're just, we're just laughing because we remember all those people who failed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
0: you.
1: and actually, if I can build on that. Um, What has changed taking the professional coaching training is I do even less and I have more impact, right? Mm -hmm. I talk less now that he's been talking, I talk less, I do less, but the impact is much more. It seems like, like everything I do is like highly targeted and highly effective. And I think people are sometimes wondering how I do it. And I'm surprised uh, how I do it myself, but it's less of of effort and just effortlessly listening to people and then moving at the right time and having a a large impact.
3: Yeah. It's giving them the space to do it and honoring their um, ability to run their own company. And so that's, that's pretty awesome. When I listen to you talk about this, I, what I'm hearing is that coaching is a, it's a component, right? It's only one piece, just like Agile is not a silver bullet. Scrum is not a silver bullet. Coaching is not a silver bullet. Scaling is not a silver bullet. It's a component of how we bring success into the, into the client space.
2: Yeah. It's one arrow your It's one arrow in your quiver, right? It's a skill that you need. That's why I always emphasize you need training, you need mentoring, you need coaching, right? And uh, you, you need to progress towards something. And uh, as you mature, you need more coaching, less mentoring, less training, right? So it, it's part of it. I think one of the advantages of being both a trainer, a trainer advisor, and to a certain extent, a coach. I, I do a lot less coaching than, for instance, Gary on does, but I do some, I have to do some as part of my job. Mm-hmm. it's important to acquire multiple skills and combine all those skills Mm -hmm. the same way that uh, it it helps the scrum. If you are, if you're familiar with lean, if you're familiar with Kanban, the more you learn, the more skills you acquire, the best you can deal with people. You can communicate with people. you can offer solutions when they ask you for solutions, which is an advisory role, right? So, uh, Learning how to coach people helped me a lot. The same way that learning other other things helped me a lot too. So it's a skill set that you have to build. I wouldn't advise anybody to claim to be even an advisor, let alone a coach, without having at least basic knowledge of coaching and how to interact with people. Because you are probably going to get into a lot of trouble.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that's been really pleasing to me to hear you say is that you don't install scaling, like take it up box and just drop it in. This is what we do, Um, install everything that's in there. And yet, I I think that when people go and look at, you know, they go look up Scrum at Scale, they go look up these other scaling models, they buy your book. And they're like oh let's do this and and they're tempted to just like take it out the box and drop it in what would you say to those people
2: i i think you see i i went to several clients in the past five six years who bought this concept of framework in a box they dropped the box in there and uh Everybody start following the box because it's really easy, right? You have the cake recipe, blah, 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 blah. And then after a year, year and a half, they didn't see a lot of improvement. I mean, yeah, they, they managed to work in a scaled environment, but they really didn't reap the benefits. Mm-hmm. And then when you go there, you start asking questions and uh, people start to think, well, perhaps we shouldn't have follow the prescription because you see my mother used to be a very good cook and she never followed any prescription or recipe or anything she just pulled stuff and put together because you have to understand the environment you have to understand the people you have to understand all of this and then you can draw some elements with a real framework is not prescriptive and adopt them and implement them into the environment. So when you go this with this mentality of a box, honestly, it takes about, my experience, about 14 months until things start to not go so well. Or, it, or even if they're going well, they are not improving. They are not, they're, they're, you are actually not reaping the benefits of having a couple of hundred people working on a thing. And that's because people tend to be prescriptive or they tend to think that the recipe is going to fix your problem. Um, one of the Amazon reviews that we got that I love is somebody wrote there, these guys are fearless. And then he said, because they pretty much said things that people think they know, but they will never say in public.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, what we did is draw from our experience, from us both, dealing with this thing that people go doing things, expecting to follow a recipe and then things don't work. And that's another reason why you have to have professional coaches and you have to have not only professional coaches, but also technical coaches, right? You have to have a lot of this because it's when people start to have questions and they don't know where to go. The prescription doesn't tell you that. The prescription is not there every day to say, well, we're having a quality problem in there, and uh, our developers don't know this and this and that. So where's the technical coach there? Or we have personal problems with people who are unsure they even going to have a job with all these changes that were. Uh, where are the coaches in there? So I, I I I think that's the I fear this box solutions. People, it's like asking people to wear the same size of clothing. It's not going to work right so
1: so Jean, you want i add anything yeah i just think so i personally think that if you have an overly prescriptive system for agility or for scaling agility you're not being agile at all it's it goes against the core value of it and um, i frankly don't care for it i i'm a deep believer in decentralizing decision making i'm a deep believer in um, in agility because i think it's mandated by environmental changes right so if i lived in the middle ages and nothing changes that much and we have a live in a feudal system you don't need agility right it's it's very specific to our time and to our uh, to our way of working which is knowledge work and so this prescription these prescriptive systems they don't really make sense to me i'm all about agility that's what i love and that's what i think makes sense and so doing agility with a prescriptive uh, system is a is a contradiction in terms to me
0: Yeah, it's 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 funny i can totally see garen saying in his quiet german demeanor you are not agile at all
3: <laughs> they're not. <laughs> no,
1: they're not. <laughs> but the, the truth is, they are paying for people's cars, right? So, um yeah.
2: So yeah, um, he, he tends to be a lot nicer
0: than I am when I say <laughs> something. You know? I
3: can hear it coming out completely differently between the two of you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, so, while we are on the on the culinary trip, culinary scrum trip, interesting. So, um what is your guy's recipe for that fearlessness in your work?
2: I don't know if there is a recipe. I, I think it's just after 15 years of scrum and 30 years of software, I, I think you just learn that you have to be fair with people, but you have to be very precise. I, I don't like to waste time. I think time is very precious and it's very costly. So I will report to leadership what I see in the way I see it. I am not going to use uh, fancy words. I'm not going to say, uh, hey, you know, gonna let's beat around the bush with this. I think my recipe is I'm a very honest and frank person. I've always been my whole life. And Scrum, one of the Scrum values is courage. If you don't have the courage to come forward and tell people the truth, yeah, okay, so do you want to fire me because I told you the truth? That's fine. Your problem is not going to be solved because you heard something you didn't want to hear. So that's the way I go about it. I I tell things for what they are. I tell things as I see them in, in my experience. I may be wrong at times, and at times I've been, you know, we all are. But I I don't like to pretend that something is a little better than what it is just because it makes leadership feel better. Because in the end, that's going to make you spend a lot of money. You're going to make a lot of people unhappy. And uh, your product is not going to get any better. Your stock price is going to go down. And uh, you, unless you go to Reddit and ask people to go buy your stock like crazy to pump the price out. But I think being honest and having the courage to be honest, I think a lot of us were very timid. And I prefer to be very frank, very honest, and very direct. Because uh, it, there is there, there's no point in trying to pretend that something is not happening because a leadership is going to be happy about this and uh, I save my skin, right? And But you're not solving the problem. And eventually, something is going to happen. And uh, Well, why didn't you tell me that, you know? So I, I always been very direct. I got in trouble for being direct multiple times. But analyzing that, I say, you know what? I'd rather not be working there anyway. So... Mr. G?
1: Yeah. And so for me, it's this issue of being good with the outcome, whatever it is, right? So kind of like being a genderless, being like in a sense, egoless, right? Of course, I have some aspirations or some hopes for what they are going to do, but I can't really influence that. I can help them. I can mirror stuff to them. I can support them. But in the end, it's their company. It's their decision to make. It's their life. And I'm there to support them. But in the end, I'm good with any outcome.
0: So, and with you guys, the book is out of the way. It's kind of, it's history. It's out there. seems like you're getting pretty good reviews. What's next for you?
1: Um, so we're going to have the audiobook um, coming out pretty soon. So that's going to be a nice addition for those who want to learn more about Scrum at Scale, but don't necessarily want to read the whole book, but want to listen to it on the subway or uh, on the car commute. And so for me, I'm very happy. I'm working with a customer where uh, pretty much everybody from top leadership to the employees is completely bought in. And so we're doing a full Scrum at Scale transformation Um in a hardware producing company with a lot of regulatory complications. So it's super interesting. And um, so, yeah, that's it for me. If anybody wants to reach me, I'm at teamflow.net and Q, what about you?
2: Well, we, one thing that's very dear and near to me besides the book, I mean, we did the podcast, the audio book is coming. You can find the podcast and places where you find your normal podcasts. It has a little bit from each one of the chapters of the book. I am uh, I'm very fond of the coaching sessions we do every month. We are on the third year together doing this. We had hundreds of people in there. We get a lot of good feedback. I learned a lot doing them. We get questions that would never imagine that somebody would ask, which makes us better trainers, better mentors, better, better coaches. Um, you can find me at raskere.com, And uh, if you look under resources in there, you can see all the coaching sessions. They happen every month. They are free. We, we've been doing this, like I said, for three years. We helped a lot of people. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the work that both of us have been doing with that. And I hope we'll be doing it for a long time. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I have a few ideas, Garion and I, always talking about stuff. So stay tuned.
0: All right. So we definitely wish you a lot of luck and great success. And hopefully you will continue talking and there will be a lot of great ideas that you will bring to life and whatever that results in, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And uh, well, that was another Episode of Tandem Coaching Academy's Keeping Agile Coaching non-denominational podcast. We had Q and on today and we talked about scrumming at scale. And we are your hosts today, Cherie Silas and I, Alex Klinov. Bye now.